What's up, Nate? That's Nate Hobbs, everybody. Nate Hobbs. Rebel Nation, we will win. We will recruit at a really high level. Uh, the goal is to compete for championships. We'll block out the naysayers. Together as fans and city and administration and press, we'll do that. We'll build a winner, a, a winner that will last. The enthusiasm and passion of this community is contagious right now. It drew me to this job. I can go ahead and start if, unless he needs to give me the all clear we're good. Um, good to see you guys and, and gals. Uh, thanks so much. And I've said this the times I've had the opportunity to visit with you. Um, and it doesn't change. I sure appreciate the work that you do and the opportunity that, that we have to have um, a group like yourselves that cover our team and our student athletes, uh, which is a great reflection of not only our athletic department, but the University of Arkansas and, and our great state. So uh, I know it can be difficult at times, but uh, I appreciate it because you're able to tell the story of our student athletes to a lot of folks that, that, that have uh, tremendous uh, following and support of, of our program. So thank you. So good to see you guys. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. That was a snippet of Barry Odom talking before this season to the media as the Arkansas defensive coordinator. And that was how he started it. That was like his opening statement to the media was thanking them for covering Arkansas football. Um, the other I, thing I played was Marcus Arroyo. Yes. <laughs> saying um, we will block out the press. The, a lot of these are not my story to tell, but I know of at least four different media members, five different media members that had some sort of in negative individual interaction with Marcus Arroyo. Some of them are dumb and stupid, like him blocking me on Twitter. Like, that's not a big deal. Some of them are a bit more serious, um, including people's livelihoods. But this the, the whole idea of Marcus Arroyo and not getting along with the media, it was not simply Marcus Arroyo gave bad answers or didn't like press conferences or the media didn't like his answers. It wasn't that. Marcus Arroyo, outside of press conferences, had a lot of negative interactions with the media. I watched... Five minutes of a Barry Odom press conference, and I already feel confident he's going to be 100 times better at that than Marcus Arroyo was. So we'll see. He talks at 10 o'clock, and you can hear that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Um, UNLV, UNLV basketball plays tonight. Hawaii plays UNLV. Uh, this stat from Mid-Major Madness, Danny double-checked this apparently during the break. This is Hawaii's, this is the farthest east Hawaii is going to play a basketball game this year. Yeah, every school they play on the road for the remainder of the year is in California. That's kind they don't of incredible. Go anywhere else other than California <laughs> and Hawaii for the entire year. So this is uh that should be an advantage for UNLV. They've had to travel so far east to Las Vegas. So yeah, UNLV plays Hawaii tonight. UNLV is one of the last unbeaten teams. There's only ten unbeaten teams left in the country. All right, I'm gonna give you guys some basketball stats here really quick. Um your Ken Palm projection for tonight's game is 68-62, UNLV. Uh, Hawaii this year, they're 145th overall. They're 191st in offense, 106th in defense. Uh, they're not terrible, but they're not exactly good. Uh, they are coming off a loss to Texas A&M Commerce, who's not good. Uh, they've only played one top 100 team so far. It was Yale, and they lost that game. Interesting contrast in this one. Hawaii is very, very slow. They are 322nd in tempo this year. 
Hawaii is 56th, or excuse me, UNLV is 56th in tempo. So we talk about this a lot in college basketball. Generally speaking, it's easier to make a fast team slow than make a slow team fast because you can just control how long until you shoot it on the offensive side. But UNLV's done such a good job at forcing turnovers that I kind of feel like they're going to speed up anybody they play. Well, anybody they can force turnovers on. We'll see when they play, you know, San Diego State. Can they force San Diego State into 20 turnovers? Probably not. But I have no no real reservations about them forcing 22 turnovers and this being a fast game because that's what UNLV does. They just get a bunch. Even their last game was one of the best turnover teams they've played and they still forced a bunch of turnovers and it was a fast game. Yeah. So they look at that game against San Diego. All we heard was San Diego doesn't really turn the ball over much. So which one was going to break UNLV's defense or San Diego's offense and being there right next to the, right next to the court watching that UNLV team, they just smother people and force turnovers. So I think that's what they're going to do tonight. They tip an oddly high amount of passes. They do very like, much. I was sitting next to uh, Curtis Terry and during the game, and he was marking how many tipped uh, passes UNLV had. And at halftime, I think they were at like 17 or 18. It's genuinely the, it's almost like Kevin Kruger's defensive strategy is, wave your arms, get your arms going. <laughs> like, I, I don't think anything changes tonight. I'm curious to see when they play a team, they don't just overwhelm physically and aggressively. Right. Like San Diego State will be the first one that they play. That they that are, I mean, I guess you could throw Dayton in there as well, but Dayton hasn't been very good. But like when they play San Diego State, does that still happen? Do they still get a deflection on whatever that is, half their possessions or something like that? Do they still force 20-something turnovers? Maybe they do, and it's going to be like that in every single game that they play. But I think they're in a pretty good spot defensively that they will overwhelm a lot of teams. The interesting part, and this is not a stat that's kept, I don't know if we should give UNLV credit. Maybe we should. I feel like UNLV gets a lot of opponent turnovers where guys just step out of bounds. Like, it's had to have happened six or seven times where somebody's in the corner to shoot a three, and they just have their heel. Yeah. On the sideline. And yeah, and like you said, it, it all depends on whether that's UNLV pressuring or if that's the other team just not being aware. Not knowing how big the court is. <laughs> but they've gotten them and they get the actual like, hey, we stole the ball and we've got a dunk going the other way. But it's just like they, they're forcing such a ridiculous amount of turnovers. Now, on the offensive side for UNLV to go back to that game against San Diego. So they made 12 of 25 uh, from three. UNLV before that game was shooting 29% from three against division one opponents. We're not counting the, the life Pacific game. They have two, two games this year that they've shot over 40% from three incarnate word and uh, San Diego. The important note there, those are the two worst defensive teams they've played by just straight up defensive efficiency. So the two terrible defensive teams, they've shot really well from three, every other team they've played, whether they're average or good defensively, they have shot below 30% from three. And this is, this is I think, where UNLV is going to either be an NCAA tournament slash Mountain West contender, or they're going to be maybe on the bubble more likely than an IT team. How well do they shoot from three, right? Can they be an average three-point shooting team? Can they knock down? The average, I think, is 33%. Can they hit 33% of their threes? I think so. If they hit 33, 34, 35%, 
I think this is going to be an NCAA tournament team because they're going to be good enough defensively. They just need the shooting. You can't just change why you said you said if you you said twenty five wins. You said seventeen more. Yeah, they're not going to get to twenty five wins unless they're an average three point. Uh, now team. he's changing. He's changing I'm all. I'm telling the math. you how they get to twenty five wins. Yeah, and and I think if they can definitely keep this defensive pressure up throughout the season and. Like you said, shoot an average, you know, low to mid thirties. Uh, yeah, they're dancing. If they shoot twenty nine percent, like they have against the non incarnate word in Southern, uh, or excuse me, San Diego teams, I don't think they're an NCAA tournament team. I don't think they're getting to twenty five wins. I think we're talking about a team that, uh, you know, is a eleven and seven Mountain West team, ten and eight Mountain West team that has too many offensive struggles to actually win. So we're looking what probably twenty twenty two wins, right? Because they are, they are going to end up. Are they going to end up undefeated in conference play? That's the theory that I'm. That I don't see a loss. Well, yeah, but like, I think Washington State might still end up being yeah. favored over them. Um, but Washington State's not good enough that it's like, oh, of course you know he's going to lose that game. But it's like they're not going to be good every game. No, they'll they'll have their like, off nights as does so everybody. Like, does one happen in non conference play? Like, and here's the thing: they can be off tonight against Hawaii. I'll take and, be fine and still win, right? Like, they can beat Hawaii shooting twenty seven. They were off for like the first like six minutes against uh, San Diego, and it was very like, oh my god, is this going to be the loss? Yeah, I think uh, what was it like? Five minutes into the game, the score was only five to two or five to three, something like that. And then UNLV, UNLV just went on a tear for the rest of the game. All right. True or false, at some point this season, there will be a 10-minute stretch in a UNLV game where neither team makes a field goal. False. They can make a free throw. They can score, but no made field goal. You're saying half of a half? Half of a half, I don't neither so. team. Uh, UNLV has already done it defensively. That, yeah. To teams, but that's a really. I, I I think I'm going true. I think I think the field the the free throws is where he convinced me. Where I'm like, I honestly think that this team could be so ineffective at shooting the ball that they just changed the plan to okay, guys. It's been seven minutes we where since we've hit a field goal. Just run into somebody while on your way to the rim. Well, yeah. What was it, Dayton? They held them to like three or four field goals in the final 14 minutes. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen because they force enough live ball turnovers to get transition opportunities. Right. But if that stops against, say, San Diego State, or if Utah State does a good enough job taking care of the ball, like if they have a 10-minute stretch where they don't force a live ball, they might force, you know, hey, we knocked it out of bounds 16 times. But if they don't force the live ball turnover that gets them two-on-one, it's possible. Yeah, but do you know how many things got to go against you to not score a basket for we, we 10 see minutes? Every game, they have at least like a six-minute stretch defensively. Right. All you got to do is extend that out for a few more minutes and you be incompetent on the other end. Like the San Diego State game. San Diego State's 19th in uh, Ken Palm defense this year. It's going to happen. We're going to have a 10. We're going to be like, all right, nobody's made a shot. A long time. It's going to be bad. And, and listen, on the live stats, it'll pop up and say zero yeah. field goals yeah, last 642. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to send you a screenshot of it, Danny. I'll when probably we get, be there. We're going to get to like seven minutes and 50 seconds. Here comes the screenshot being like, and that's what I'm going to be cheering for. I'm going to be mad on press row. Oh, they scored. Ridiculous. <laughs> so there is uh, some UNLV basketball to take on Hawaii tonight. Again, 
There are only 10 teams that are left unbeaten in the country. UNLV is one of them. There's actually three Mountain West teams because New Mexico and Utah State are on that list too. I actually meant to go look up. I wonder if UNLV has the worst win of those teams because UNLV hasn't. Dayton's the only team they've played, and Dayton's not actually good. Like they're 10-0, and 0, but they literally do not have a win that the tournament committee would look at and say, hey, that's a good win. So I am curious if they've got the worst uh, unbeaten record in college basketball, but they haven't lost. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Did- Bischoff's Briefs. I wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do. Bischoff's Briefs. I asked you to do three. Yeah. Bischoff's Briefs. To evaluate three players. Yeah. How many did you do? Bischoff's Briefs. 47. Okay. Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then. Mike Grimaldo is going to join us in about 10 minutes. We're going to have Golden Knights and Flyers tickets to give away in 20, 25 minutes. So stay tuned for that. And at 10 o'clock, the Barry Odom press conference will air right here on ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV, uh, I got to steal the stat from Mike Grimaldo. UNLV this year was bad in the scripted part of the game. Uh, Gramala tweeted out in 2022, UNLV was outscored 93 to 39 on the first two drives of every game. That was a minus 54 point total. After that, UNLV was plus 28. Uh, Gramala said UNLV consistently lost the game plan battle, something for Arroyo to work on moving forward with wherever his next job is. Uh, so that was an interesting detail that UNLV wasn't good to start games, but got better as they went along, which you could actually point to as maybe a positive for Marcus Arroyo, that they didn't start bad and just get blown out. They started poorly and actually rebounded in quite a lot of those games. Now, Bischoff's Briefs, though, uh, we're taking a look at the Mountain West because SP+, Plus, it's an efficiency ranking in college football. It's probably a better way to actually evaluate how good a team is than wins and losses because college football schedules, because they're so short, uh, can vary quite dramatically in strength of schedule from year to year and from team to team in the same year. UNLV SP plus after the regular season, 103rd. That might change a little bit after some Mountain West teams or some opponents play in bowl games, but they're going to be right around 100 to 105. Some context for that. Last year, Royo's second year, they were 115th. So they moved up a little bit in SP+. Tony Sanchez's last season, they were 120th. Uh, Tony Sanchez's best year when he was at UNLV was 106. So very similar outcomes in terms of, hey, what was Sanchez's best year to what was Arroyo's best year? 103 to 106, we're basically looking at the same type of team, while most of the other years are 115 or worse. So just gauging UNLV in terms of improvement... Uh, maybe they got a little bit better this season compared to the end of the Arroyo era and the first two years of the UNL or the Marcus Arroyo era, but it wasn't exactly this massive improvement this season. They're still kind of the same team, but here's the interesting part. And this is, uh, we can use this to evaluate Arroyo. We can use this to look ahead for Barry Odom's first season. 
the Mountain West sucked this year. Last season, two Mountain West teams were not in the top 90. That means 10 of the 12 Mountain West teams were top 90 teams by SP+. Two. This year, seven teams in the conference were not in the top 90. That means only we went from 10 to five Mountain West teams being top 90 teams. The bad teams this year were New Mexico, Nevada, Hawaii, Utah State, Wyoming, UNLV, and Colorado State. So, first off, to look back, when we look at UNLV, oh, they got to five wins. Oh, look at this improvement. I don't know how much they improved versus how much the Mountain West just was completely awful, right? UNLV, sure, they got up to 103, slightly better than where they were, but half the damn conference just fell apart. And that, I think, is a very important thing to know, very important context when looking at Marcus Arroyo. But looking ahead to the very Odom era, and maybe this changes next year, maybe the Mountain West gets a lot better, but if there are six other teams not in the top 90, if we're talking about a conference that might have a terrible Hawaii again, a terrible Nevada, a terrible Colorado State, New Mexico, if this is a conference that has five or six other terrible teams, then Barry Odom doesn't have to improve UNLV by very much to get to a bowl game. You, I mean, you just got to be a little bit better. If the conference, you can be a bad team. You can still suck. UNLV can still be a bad football team. Just be slightly better. Yeah, one game better. That's You're all, going to a bowl literally game. all it took is one game being better. Now. If the conference gets better, because generally the Mountain West isn't this bad. Generally, the Mountain West is a much better group of five conference than it was this season. If these other teams sort of get back to what they're used to, right? Colorado State and Nevada aren't usually god-awful atrocious teams. Neither is Utah State. If these other programs get back to being, oh, they're the 68th, 75th, 81st best teams in the country, then it's a lot harder for you and to get to bowling. They might be better next year and have a worse record because the competition got a lot better. So that's a curious part looking forward. UNLV can probably be a six one team next year, maybe without getting better at all. If the conference actually gets worse than it was this season, because it could go that way. We could have a, even more bad teams. So it is December 7th. I'm excited to do this on December 7th. Normally we'd wait until, I don't know, the springtime, at least maybe the summertime, definitely right before the season starts next year. UNLV's 2023 schedule. Um, I just pulled it up while you were talking. So dates are not finalized. Conference schedule hasn't been finalized, but we do know the opponents. Um, Non-conference schedule. They have two home games. Bryant and Vanderbilt comes here. They have two road games. They go to Michigan and they go to UTEP. And then their conference opponents, we don't know the order yet, but their conference opponents, San Jose State, Air Force, New Mexico, Colorado State, Wyoming, Fresno State, Hawaii, and Nevada. All right. You, you ready to do this, Danny? I'm ready. All right. We'll do non-conference first. Bryant has to, I mean, it has to, if, if, if it's going to be any season worth remembering, Bryant has to be a win. I'm not saying they can't lose that because we've seen them lose to FCS schools. I think if UNLV wants any hope of making a bowl game next year, they have to win that game. I completely honest with you. Barry Odom might get fired if they lose that game. No, you can't hire a guy who went five and seven and lose your first game to an FCS school. So that's gotta be a win. Um, at Michigan, that's a loss. Vanderbilt and UTEP. How do you, how do we know at Michigan's a loss? I like Danny. 
Michigan's a loss. <laughs> Vanderbilt and UTEP. Uh, I'll put it this way. Split. If they're going to a bowl game, they need to split. I don't know which yes. one they split, but if they're going to a bowl game, they need to split. If they lose both of those, we're probably looking at it sort of a bad first season, but they would need to split. So you're looking at two and two in the non-conference, one FCS win, one eh, decent win over either UTEP on the road or Vanderbilt here in Vegas. Now, conference games. I look at uh, San Jose State, Air Force, uh, Fresno State, and Wyoming. Those are the four teams. And a lot of stuff changes in the offseason, so it's December 7th, I'm aware. But those are the four programs that will probably be a step ahead of where UNLV is. Those are the four you look at and say, those teams should be better than UNLV. UNLV can upset teams, right? Arroyo never really did it, but Tony Sanchez every year would upset one team. Now, we'd also lose a game to Howard, but Tony Sanchez was always good for one upset of a team they had no business beating. But those four teams, I think if you're UNLV, you need to go one and three in those. San Jose State, Air Force, uh, Wyoming, and Fresno State. You need to pull off one upset, go one and three in those games. That leaves you with four other games on the schedule. New Mexico, bad. They're always bad. They're just like UNLV. Colorado State was bad this year, and half their team's in the portal already. <laughs> They're probably going to be bad again next year. They're just trying to go down the road. Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii, probably going to be bad again next year. I guess they might not have the state senate investigating their program, so maybe it'll be a slightly better offseason for Hawaii. But I'm guessing they're bad again next year. Probably. Nevada's interesting because that's a program that's been pretty good at the Mountain West level in the past. I'd expect them to be better than what they were this year because... They were tro. I mean, yeah. that's a terrible team. So they'll probably be better, but I still don't know that they're good next season. Out of those four, honestly, you should probably go four and zero. But gotta at least go three, three and one. one with the way I've set this up. So the key here: beat the FCS team in Bryant, split with Vandy and UTEP, get one quote unquote upset between San Jose State, Air Force, Fresno State, and Wyoming. And then at least go three and four against the four bad teams. So that puts you at six, six and six. Wins. And you're in a bowl game and everybody's happy, except like Marcus Arroyo or something. But everybody's like, look at this, things went well. The point here UNLV doesn't actually have to beat a good team to go to a bowl game. Like if they do that, their best win is going to be whoever they, Vander, Vandy or UTEP. Or maybe San Jose State if they get the upset there. Right? I was going to say it would probably be more if they can get an, an upset in conference than yeah. like one of those two. They To go to a bowl game next year, they can realistically do this by beating two, or excuse me, one or two average teams and then beat four bad teams. Like that's, and honestly, there's five bad teams that are on the schedule. So if they take care of business, they only have to beat one average team. That's all they have to do. If this conference is going to be this bad, that's all it is. So we're going to a bowl game. We'll see how the transfer portal works out. Coming up next, Mike Gramala joins the show. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is... Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? Coming up at 10 o'clock, 
Are people walking behind you, Mike? Hold on. Don't answer that. Coming up at 10 o'clock, uh, Barry Odom's press conference. You can hear that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And I believe afterwards, Steve Cofield and John Von Tobel will be reacting uh, right here as well. So we will have a full coverage of Barry Odom's press conference right after the press box. Joining us now, live from somewhere on campus at UNLV, is Mike Grimala of the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, good morning, Mike. How How is campus this morning with the rodeo and a press conference in a building I've never been to? You know what? I've never been to this building either. Um, I plugged it into my maps, and it took me on some route through the back roads of campus that I've never been down. So um, I'm not exactly sure where I am right now, um, but it's it seems all right. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. Are you confident you're in the right place? I am because okay. Ed Green is here. I can see him. I don't know if that means you're at, in the I'm, right yeah, place. I'm waving at him. That might not, I, he I, was very worried about where he was going this morning. I asked him if he had a message for me to deliver to you when I got out of the air, and he said, uh, "Absolutely not." Okay, but we are we are <laughs> glad to find out that Ed found parking. He was um, he was very worried yesterday because we were talking to him about when he needed to leave the show and everything, and he was like, "I'm not going to find parking. I don't know what time to get down there." So I'm I'm glad Ed is there, and I hope he parked his car in a parking spot and not just like on a grassy hill somewhere and said <laughs> we're good to go, which is I assume what it's happened. A- Going somewhere for the first time um, is anxiety-inducing, so I understand his plight. Listen to you. All right, um, I'll just give you this open-ended take. Uh, Barry Odom, head coach of UNLV, you got any hot takes on the hire? Uh, better than the last guy. <laughs> um, they, Eric Harper said, uh, he said right up front he wanted someone with head coaching experience, um, and they found someone from you know, who's gone to a bowl game twice out of the SEC, that's pretty good for UNLV. And the investment that they made in him, he's the highest-paid coach in Mountain West history. Um, they're going to go over $2 million. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the program is serious about paying top dollar. They found someone who has success. I mean, he went to a bowl game 50% of the time, uh in his first head coaching stint, if he does that at UNLV, they'll erect a statue of him. So um, it's it's a good hire uh, up front. Uh, we'll have to see how he does on the field, but right now, I, I think you got to like the hire. Does how much do you think the head coaching experience part of this matters? Like the idea that Eric Harper said it, but the idea that they need somebody who's done it before. They don't want somebody learning on the job. It's okay. Um, Eric Harper is a guy who is he's, he played college football at Kansas State, so he's a high-level Division One college football player. He knows the ins and outs of football. So when he watches the head coach make game management mistakes, clock management mistakes, um, over and over and over and over again, and you're losing every game because of these mistakes, that's not something that's going to slip by Eric Harper the way that it might slip by another athletic director who doesn't have such hands-on football experience. So. Um, he saw Marcus Arroyo the way he handled games um, with no head coaching experience, and he wanted someone who was not going to make those mistakes again, someone who knew how to run a program, run the team on game day. Um, Barry Odom, I haven't done a deep enough dive into him to know, um, you know, how he, you know, what his game management style is. But, uh, yeah, it was a top priority for Eric Harper. He wanted that experience. I don't think he wanted to go through it again with a – uh, a first-time head coach learning on the job, making those mistakes that cost you games. 
Eric Harper, uh, in his press conference after he fired Arroyo, he mentioned the idea of winning championships. And I know UNLV football put out a video yesterday of Barry Odom addressing the team for the first time. And he said the same type of things to win championships. It seems like it could just be a throwaway phrase, but is that going to be the actual, like, is that the actual expectation of Barry Odom? It's more than just bowl games. It's we need to compete for the Mountain West. I think that's what they want. I mean, if you look at the investment they're making with the practice facility, um, with the head coach's salary, they are investing money into the program as if they are one of the top programs in the Mountain West. So that's what they want. Like if you're paying your coach top dollar and you have the brand new practice facility and you're spending all this money like crazy, five and seven is not good enough. Yeah, it's an improvement from two wins, but five wins is not good enough for all the money that they're putting into the program, all the investment that they're making. So yeah, I'm going to guess, you know, six, if, if, if uh, Barry Odom goes six and six in his first year and they go to a bowl game, it'll be okay. Yeah, great. Um, that's what we want, but that's not like the end goal. They want, you know, nine wins, 10 wins playing in the Mountain West championship game during his, you know, the first length of his contract. So uh, yeah, Eric Harper was, that's something he said in this press conference. Like he's, they're setting the stand. They're sort of skipping a step where you have that that medium <laughs> success. They're going straight to like we were the doormat. Now we want to run the league. So and they're but I, I would laugh it off. Except they're spending money as though they believe it. Uh, so let me ask you this on the Barry Odom side, and, and especially for year one. Arkansas has already got 13 kids in the transfer portal. I don't know if any of them are any good, but is the key to year one going to simply be how many like power five level players can Barry Odom get to UNLV this year? That's probably the key to every year. Um, I would think at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, unless he's going like, to be an unbelievable recruiter and get guys that can play right away as freshmen. Uh, but I, there's, you're not going to win the mountain West with freshmen. Um, you're not going to win the Mountain West with, you know, a bunch of sophomore or offensive or defensive linemen. So I'm assuming that it's going to be a portal-heavy year uh, and will continue to be so. Uh, yeah, so I would say transfer portal, uh, they, they've got a few guys that they want to keep, I'm sure, uh, UNLV guys that are already in there. And, you know, whether it's guys from Arkansas or maybe guys from the SEC that he's familiar with, having played against and schemed against uh, that he's familiar with, people that he recruited initially that ended up going to other schools, but he has a good relationship with, he can circle back to all those guys now when they're, when they hit the transfer portal and uh, sort of pitch UNLV as this up and coming program. So yeah, I do think it's going to be a uh, eventful off season in the portal. All right. Important question for you. Which media member will ask the best question at the press conference today? The best question. Uh, I don't do we usually get a best question? I don't know. Who are you looking forward to getting the mic during we, the press conference? We usually have about five contenders for worst question. <laughs> I don't know if we have that many contenders for best question. Um, Longest question? Uh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, there are some content. There are some favorites for that award for sure. Um, do you have a question that you, that I should ask that you want me to ask? What would be a good question? Um, oh, How what would be a good question? Does he block people uh, on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Ask him that. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't ask him that. <laughs> Does he have any representatives that he'll send to talk to our bosses? Oh boy, I can't ask him that. Oh boy. Ooh. All right, all right. That's, um, that's I'll, fine. I'll think. I'll try to think of something good. I'll try to think of something good. Yeah. Um, what, what's his stance on tacos? That's... How many has he had? Give me a number. Uh, do you think people know the number of tacos they've eaten? I do. <laughs> it's single digits. It might be the only one. 
The like, no, I don't. I, you should ask him how many tacos do you think you've eaten in your life, and see if he has just an answer com- for that. Just, just completely out of context, no build up. Just yes. Third, oh. third question of the press conference. Uh, yeah, Mike Romano, Las Vegas. Son. How many tacos do you think you've had in right. your life? Be a phenomenal, phenomenal question. And then a follow up for that: ask yeah. him if he plans on going to a specific taco place here in town this week. Is there is there something going on with tacos here this week? No, there's just a lot of options, a lot of good ones. Well, he doesn't know yet, and Mike can't help him and give him good ideas. Mike has no idea where to go. Mike's only had a taco from Taco Bell. Yeah, that was in the name. He had buffalo wings from Buffalo Wild Wings. He's he's a very consistent eater. Poor Mike. All right, uh, Mike, enjoy the press conference. Wait, Jared, do you have something else? I didn't know it because I had to step out for a second. Did we ask him, is there, like, snacks there? Is there, so- like, because there was soda at the last one of these I got to go to. Oh, is there are, there, spread? are there snacks, Mike? I haven't um, taken a lap around the actual um, room, like reception room where everything is, but it doesn't look like there's anything out there. All right. As uh, of yet. Well, go find some snacks and report back if there's snacks you can eat. Um, he's Mike Ramala from the Las Vegas Sun. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Uh, so there's Mike Ramala live from the Alumni Center on campus. Richard Cam Alumni Center. That uh, I don't know. Never been to. Nobody's been to, apparently. I have. Except yeah, Jared. Jared's the only one in here. And there's this big circle thing. Nobody cares about the circle thing. That's the only reason I went there. Nobody knows what it is. I, it's I there. Did, it's famous for having this big circle thingy. I did six years on that campus, and I've never seen this building. At Jared, you over have a here. master's degree? No, uh, I have two bachelors. <laughs> Jared, after finding out that Ed and I have not been there, asked us with a straight face, "What's the circle thing inside the building?" We, neither one it's of us very have been there. prominent. Yeah, but you never know. What would we know? It's a building we've never heard of. And Jared thinks we're going to know some defining characteristic inside of it. All right. We got tickets. Golden Knights, Flyers. If you want to go see the Vegas Golden Knights take on the Philadelphia Flyers, we got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see the Golden Knights and Flyers, be caller number nine right now at 702-364. It's France and England, the biggest game of the World Cup so far, and you can watch it with ESPN Las Vegas at Parkway Tavern at the District in Green Valley. All brought to you by Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto Mall. Is it the Iverson step over Tyron Lue or the Iverson crossover on Jordan? Well, I'm not allowed to answer the, the second part, so um, I'll say I'll say the step over. You're locked in the press box. Coming up at 10 o'clock, Barry Odom, new UNLV football coach. His introductory press conference will air right here on ESPN Las Vegas, so stay tuned. That is coming up in about 10 minutes. Um, also, following that, Steve Cofield and John Von Tobel, who... I assume they're live at this alumni center. Yes, they okay. are live at the alumni center. <laughs> uh, if they manage to find it, uh, they will be live reacting to Barry Odom's Actually, press conference. Actually, that is a good point. <laughs> Do we know if, if they, they found, found parking? Because at one point this morning, JVT was on the television above me. He was. So, so hopefully they found parking. I hope he got there on time. Um, so yeah, coming up at 10, Barry Odom is talking and following that, uh, Steve Cofield and John Von Tobel right here on ESPN Las Vegas, we've got you covered for UNLV football and the start of the Barry Odom era. I have a dumb question if we need to go to it. Is it related to UNLV football? 
No. Okay, then I've, just, got a, I've got something before we get to that. Okay. If UNLV won the national championship in football and in basketball, they would only pay their coaches a bonus of $100,000 each. Now, grant there's some other bonuses they probably win along the way. Like oh, you would, yeah. you would probably win your conference championship game, which is fifty thousand dollars. You'd probably win coach of the year, which is twenty five thousand dollars, right? So there's and some you'll other get bonuses. The top twenty five ranking, right? So there's some other bonuses you would get along the way, but the actual bonus for both Kevin Kruger's contract and Barry Odom's contract, if they win the national title, is a hundred thousand dollars. It's funny because UNLV is not winning the national title in either one. But if they did, you'd be like, all right, that's got to be worth more than $100,000. But here's the reality of it. If either one did, it's probably better for UNLV not to pay them because they're gone. Or do they immediately get a contract extension Ooh. when they get back from the national The Mel Tucker? I mean, UNLV is, yes. UNLV is probably giving the contract extension before the season ends. If UNLV football is like 10-0... and 0, Oh, amazing. The contract extension's probably in place right then. If yeah. UNLV basketball is in the Sweet 16 or something, the, the, it's probably done. But the issue is UNLV's contract extension to Barry Odom would be, he's making 1.75, would be what? 2.8, maybe 3 million a year. Whereas whatever Power 5 job is open, Colorado went 1-11, Deion Sanders is getting like $5 million a year. Yeah. So, like, he's immediately gone to to the next Power 5 school. Yeah, he went from, what was it, like three or 400 k to $5 million a year. That's a decent bump. Oh, Deion? Yeah. It was $600,000 $600, at Jackson State this year to $5 million. And, well, we'll see. Colorado's AD says they don't have it yet, so... <laughs> we'll but see they, if we actually But they also it. did... I don't know if you saw this. They did brag about their... Uh, they're following on Instagram. It went from apparently 50,000 to 165,000 in 24 hours of Dion signing. That doesn't seem very high for a power five football team. Or I'm sorry. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. But yeah, it, it like almost tripled the amount. Did it go to 1.5 million or no, 150,000? It's, it's only like a hundred and something thousand. Because that's like the size of some college football stadiums. Or like a hundred thousand. Right, I feel like it's Colorado. They've had more alumni than that. I, I guess know, I don't follow Ole Miss football on Instagram. I follow them on Twitter. I don't follow. I mean, I follow us. I follow ESPN Las Vegas, which tends to get me the information from UNLV that I need. Like if the volleyball team is playing in some sort of important tournament, I'll find out about it. But I don't think I follow them. Uh, what's your dumb question? Oh, if you had to pick a professional athlete or co or a coach here in Las Vegas to start a small business with, who would it be? Because I asked this question to the VGK insiders, and they went Paul Cotter. Wait, did you say athlete or coach? Yeah, Becky Hammond. Any reason why, or you're just feel like she's I feel like she's the most marketable in terms of hey she's going to be a co-owner of this business. Like there's athletes that are more marketable, but do I want Devonte Adams making the business? I feel like Becky Hammond's the right answer here. 
Although Derek Carr probably has the most money. So maybe Derek Carr's the answer just because he has the most money. I am surprised that typically doesn't the quarterback open a uh, like restaurant by now? Usually. Is he just too good with his money? Did he watch that uh, 30 for 30 about players being broke? And it's like, <laughs> man, they all said they were opening a restaurant. I'm not doing that. I mean, the Golden Knights had four players open a restaurant. And one of them was Alex Tuck. And <laughs> and we know what happened to him. He got traded. So, so. maybe that's why Carr hasn't opened anything. Who, who were the four Golden Knights? It was England, Tuck, Carlson. Was it Flurry? Was that the fourth one? I mean, I was kind of hoping it'd be Reeves. No, he did this no, whole brewery he had a thing. Beer. Yeah, he moved a brewery. What here. happened to that beer? Does it's that still, exist? It's yeah, still, it's still yep. around. Okay, it's you can not say an it's advertiser. Not, you can say it's not good. That's fine, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'm not s- a. I'm not a fan, but I know people. I know a lot of people who are actually huge fans of it. I'm just not. <laughs> you can just say it's bad. You don't have to walk it back. <laughs> I mean, I will say one time we got a like six pack for free. Here in like at Lotus in the kitchen, and I will say per, for the price, that is some of the best beer I've ever had. For free? Yeah. Yeah, free is a good price. It definitely makes it taste a little better. All right. I just got a text message. Riley Smith was the other uh golden knight to open the business. We're the nothing restaurant. if not we're nothing if not factually correct. We are. I got three out of the four right, and one's retired, still here, and one got traded to Buffalo. So two out of four is not bad. Uh, congratulations. William's going to the Esports Awards. Scott's going to Social Distortion. And David Shane, not the one that works for the Review Journal, is going to the Golden Knights and Flyers game. Uh, coming up in, what do we got, two minutes? Barry Odom, new UNLV football coach. His introductory press conference. You can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas, live from a random building on campus that hopefully everybody could find. Uh, Steve Cofield and John Von Tobel will be breaking it down after Barry Odom is done. So full coverage of the new era of UNLV football as Barry Odom gets introduced today. Stay right here on ESPN Las Vegas. We've got you covered for everything you need to know about Barry Odom and the future of UNLV football.